Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 5 and 9. Romans chapter 12, I think the key. Paul writes this to the church in Rome. And he writes, I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith which God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And then verse 9, let love be genuine. And then I want to just have us turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. And let's look at verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I just want to go verse by verse and look at these together with you. And again, this is going to be in a teaching format, so um, it's going to be relaxed and fun. And Paul says here, concerning spiritual gifts, um, when we look at the original language, we don't see that word gifts there. We just see spiritual. We see a word in a Greek, which, which points to spirituality or spiritual things. When Paulus opens this chapter, and this chapter is about gifts. It is about giftings. It is about the sovereign supernatural grace that God gives someone to be able to do something by faith for the edification of the body of Christ. Paul says here, before we talk about that, he says, I want to talk about something that is more important, that is primary, and he says, what does it mean to be spiritual, to be spiritually minded? And he says, I don't want you to be uninformed. And a better way to translate this is, he says, now concerning spirituality, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed or not taught. The Corinthian church, was that a gifted church? Absolutely. There, was this, there were gifts all over that church. Were they spiritual people? I would not say that they were. There, there was a lot of immaturity there. Later on, we understand that that church grew and became a mature church. But the Corinthian church was certainly gifted but carnal. There was a lot of craziness that was going on in that church. Because they were uninformed, they weren't taught. And... When we talk about gifts, whenever you, I don't know if you've ever been to seminars about what is your gifting. Have you ever done that? What are your gifts? And it's always exciting to go there because you're going to learn something about yourself, right? It's always exciting, like, okay, what do I have? What's my special gift? What's my special magic power? Maybe somebody might think in the church, or maybe it's an opportunity. Sometimes people can misinterpret that and say, what is my ability so that I can have some kind of an identity in the church? And this is 
a wrong way to approach it because Paul is saying, I want you to understand what is spirituality because if you are spiritual walking in the spirit, then you're going to know who you are already in Christ. Paul spends the first 12 chapters of the book of Corinthians talking about who they are in Christ, speaking to them that they are in chapter 1, saints, their beloved, and that they, that they are a holy, that they are, except they are blameless. And so Paul begins to really speak to their identity for 12 or 11 chapters. Then he gets to the point where he starts talking about these spiritual gifts. And so Paul says, I want you to be taught. I want you to be taught. You know, the spirit of the age today is there's so much knowledge, but there's no, there's no availability to submit to teaching. That's what I'm finding in Christianity today. Lots of information out there, lots of gnosis. But there's just, what we don't find is the humility to sit down and to receive teaching. I want to challenge us. Um, if you have not been to Bible school, if you have not taken Bible courses in your life, do so. Do so. Um, you will be equipped in ministry. You will be equipped in your, in your marriage. You'll be equipped in your personal life to lead. And we, have, we have courses um, that you can take podcasts. Um, I still take courses even though I'm ordained. I got ordained when I was 27. I, I got a bachelor's degree. Um, and I'm not saying this to boast, but... My teaching, the way I look at teaching, it never ends. I'm continually a Bible school student. I'm continually being taught. And I'm not being taught by a lot of different voices because what you listen to is what you're going to become. And what you're listening to is what you're going to say, and we don't even realize that. It's funny. Our wives detect it. What we listen to is what we start to communicate, and those that are close to us can detect it and they can discern it. If I'm listening to legalism and if I'm listening to a message that's not finished work, grace teaching of who we are in Christ as a new creation, then that's going to come through my words and it's going to affect the way I lead. I'm not accusing people here of doing that. I'm just saying that that's the way it could. So I want to say, first of all, we have here uh, right now kind of an informal, but it exists, a leadership training program that you can do on your own pace. And I would like to encourage you to do that if you have not done it. Because it'll because we don't want to be informed. Where does Satan like to camp out? He likes to camp out where there's uninformed Christianity. Because that's where he can hide. And so be informed and let's humble ourselves, get accountable and submit to um, systematic teaching. When you're coming to church, that's what you're doing. And there's also other opportunities too. I was talking to a guy, and I said, um, he kind of just is a floater. He's not really committed anywhere. And I said, so who, you know, who are you accountable to? I mean, he's a believer. He wants to get into ministry. Uh, he's excited, and he feels he's got a lot of gifts. And I think he is gifted. I said, so who are you accountable? Who is speaking into your life on a daily basis or on a weekly basis? And he said, well, there's a guy out in another state. I talk on the phone almost every day with him, and we have a talk on the phone. And I said, well, that's good, but... The Bible talks about face-to-face. We need a face-to-face. We need someone that's in our life that's going to see who we are in Christ. Not just an information giver. There's a lot of information givers today in Christianity. Lots of knowledge. When Satan showed up at the, at the garden, when he came to the garden and he spoke to Eve, he was the embodiment of gnosis or knowledge outside of God. 
That's, that's what he was. He was the incarnation of just knowing everything but not God. And, was, and that's the world that we live in today. And even in Christianity, you can go to a Christian church, you can go to a church or a Christian organization and get so much information, and it's not transforming. It doesn't change your life. What we need is the Holy Spirit taking the Word of God, and, and we mix it with faith, and that changes our life. And so let's, let's, be a, let's not submit to knowledge, but let's sit, submit to a physical, let's have, and we're doing it, but I'm just saying, let's have in our life a person or people that is speaking into our lives that are challenging us and encouraging us that have a ministry towards us. Why? So that we can grow up in unity, not in disunity, but in unity of the faith where we are growing closer. Sunday, last Sunday, I was, I was here, we were talking after church, and I hadn't been here for a couple weeks, and I came and I was like, you know, after church, it was a great service, and I just watching you guys talk. And everybody was just kind of in these groups, they were talking, and we were talking, and it was like an hour, an hour, and it just kept going on and on and on. This is a unity that's coming in the faith, and it wasn't all just social socialization. It was, you know, I'm a floater. I like to go from groups to conversation to conversation. I don't know if you're like that, but just hearing your conversations just blessed me so much, just hearing about you guys talking about the things of God. We as a body are growing, and we're, and this is what, we were made for, we were made for relationship, weren't we? I don't think it's possible to be a Christian and sit at home, unless you're just taking a time out with God or something, and just having a sabbatical. But I think God's will is for us to be in a family. It says in Psalm, I believe it's 68, could be wrong. It says that God takes the solitary and the lonely, and he puts them in a family. We need families. We need a family of God, whether it's huge or little. Um, and so our giftings, the giftings of the Holy Spirit given to us, we need to be informed about. We just need teaching. We need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Not, not carnal teaching. In 1 John chapter 2, we read these verses, and I wanted to talk a little bit about this this morning, but maybe at another time. It's always hard. People ask me, what are you going to have to preach about this Sunday? And it's always hard to tell you exactly because God could change it, you know. And uh, thanks for um, going with the flow. But when we think about the anointing, it says in 1 John 2, it says that every believer has an anointing. You have an anointing. You are anointed. There's not just a select few of people that have the corner on the market of anointing that are anointed. You are anointed. If you are a born-again Christian and you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you understand that that is a once and for all save for eternity... You are an anointed person. That anointing is in you. It just needs to come out. And has it come out? It comes through the breaking process at a daily cross, agreeing with God and saying no to self. And when we say yes, when we say yes to God in a difficult situation, the vessel is broken and there's an anointing that comes out. And when you get up to minister, when you get up to sing or whatever, speak, or whatever you're doing, there's going to be a blessing in it, right? Have you ever been with someone that has an anointing in their life? And you're talking to them. And you just want to say, can we just camp out here and just talk? I just want to, I'm loving what I'm hearing here. And Jesus was like that with small groups. Jesus had big crowds. But a lot of his amazing content that he communicated was in a small group with his disciples. And this comes by. And so the anointing comes. We have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. The anointed one is Jesus Christ, Messiah. The word we know, Messiah, comes from that Hebrew word, anointed one. If you have Christ in you, and you do, then you have an anointing. And that's in verse 20. In verse 27 of 1 John 2, 
so that you don't need any man to teach you. And I want to just mention something there that, again, we always need to go to the original language. We need to look at what is the, what is the Greek saying here. And the Greek says here that, and this is talking about knowledge. This is talking about carnal knowledge. This is talking about, like, okay, this is how you plant a church, you know. Step one, step two, this is the task list. This is what you need. This is your budget. These are the talents. You have to, you have to get all these. And I, there is a way to do that. But the anointing in us, we don't need any man to teach us. And that Greek word man there is a Greek word that points to a sukikos, which means a soulish man. In contrast to what Paul is saying, and I'm telling you, this is some teaching. Just follow me. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 talks about numik. Numikotos, um, I think is how you say it. What it means is a spiritual man. But in 1 John 2.27, it says you don't need any carnal man. You don't need some carnal person that's living in the flesh, that's not walking with a daily cross in their life, that's not making hard decisions in their life for Christ. You don't need that kind of man to tell you anything about your calling. We don't need carnal people to be telling us what God's will is in your life. Be careful how you get counsel, who you get counsel from. I have to say this. Sometimes even our close friends may be sometimes at a place where they're just, just maybe not walking in the filling of the Holy Spirit, and what they're going to give you is not necessarily God's mind about your situation. Um, I dare say, and I don't know this for a fact, but I don't really know how many people walk with a continual quickening of the mind and a continual filling of the Holy Spirit. And so that's when we talk with people, we need to make sure that there's a filter. I mean, we love people, but there's a filter there and that we're asking ourselves a question. Is this from God or is this, is this really from human viewpoint? Remember? Um, in the Old Testament, when we saw counsel given that wasn't God's mind and it always ended in catastrophe... So I just want to make that point that you have an anointing in you. There is an intuition that in some way we could say subjective. There's a voice inside of us. And, to, and that voice is not something that we can really hear or detect unless we're in the Word. The Word of God, the written Logos, is the Word that is describing what that voice sounds like. It's like being in a, it's like being in a large crowd. Everybody's talking, everybody's yelling, and then suddenly you hear the cry of your child. And in the hundreds and hundreds of people, you hear that voice, and you know that voice, and that is the voice that's louder than any other voice in the, in the restaurant. My wife and I were driving to the East Coast, and we, we stopped at a Chick-fil-A, and every Chick-fil-A is just inundated with kids. It's just like a sea, a flood of children. And there's kids screaming, running around, and Caleb was there, and um, we... we we saw a little kid walking around going, Mommy, walking around like, Mommy. And we just understood that this kid is like. Then the kid goes, Mommy, and just starts screaming really loud. And then as soon as he did that, this mom just comes out of like some other part of the restaurant and grabs her kid. This is really, this is scary. We were watching the whole thing. But this is really the way it works, is that the love of God and the word of God is telling us what the voice of Christ sounds like. And if we don't hear the word, we're not going to know what the voice of Christ sounds like. I mean, we can hear the voice of Christ and recognize that this is, this is God. But to understand the intuition and to understand being spirit-led, 
in Romans chapter 8, mature sons of God are spirit-led. It's the Greek word there, mature sons of God. means that I need to be educated, I need to be informed about what does the voice of Christ sound like. Does that make sense? When we hear the voice of God, we can begin to detect the voice of the devil, the enemy, and the carnal voice in our life that's not the voice of God. And you know, if it's not the voice of God, you don't need to make it... You don't need to make any kind of, you don't need to apologize. You don't need to just say, okay, thanks for your opinion, or, or just, okay, just move on, you know? And just um, mark that. Because if you and I are feeding ourselves with a voice that is not the anointed voice of Jesus Christ that we read in the Gospels, then we will eventually be deceived and it's going to cause confusion in our life. Protect your ears, protect your heart, guard your heart. Does that make sense so far? That makes sense? Yeah. Okay. I know I'm talking to a small group here today, but I hope that maybe this message in the future can be something that people can listen to when they ask us about what we think about this subject. Verse 2, Paul said this, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. What does that mean here? Paul is still talking to them. He says, before we start talking about the gifts, I want you to understand that when you were unsaved, when you were pagans, when you were... When you're just people that were religious, but you weren't enlightened, you weren't born again, you were being led astray by idols. Why is he talking about this? Because you have to understand the isagogics, or isagogics is a word that means historical perspective of the scripture. And that means that in Corinth, there were these gaseous, um, gaseous um, holes in the ground that were in some of the hills of Corinth. And people would go up there, and they would sit there, and they would be intoxicated, intoxicated by these gaseous, um, and the word is escaping me, what you call them, um, these gaseous um, fumes that were coming up from the earth. And they would sit there, and they'd be intoxicated, and they would just start to speak gibberish, and they would start speaking, and they were intoxicated. And this was, people would go up and listen to these people as if they were wise people. Um, paganism is in the church today. And how is it in the church today? Paganism is coming into the church wholesale because it is worshiping an idol instead of who Jesus Christ, the nature and the name of Jesus Christ. And what, would hap- what happens today is, is that you have idol worship. Gifts can actually be idol, can be actually worshiped. Uh, what I do, my role in the church, can, I, can be, I can worship that. That could be something like, hey, unless I'm a pastor, I don't have a good feeling about myself. I don't have a good identity. Or if I'm a child of a pastor, unless I'm just like dad, I'm not, I haven't made my cut in, in Christianity. Uh, or I can look at what I want to do. I can see a very powerful, influential person in the church and say, you know what? For me to be feeling significant, for me to feel authentic as a loved person, I need to be doing exactly that the same way. And that is just another way of being, of worshiping an idol. Therefore, in verse 3, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is saying here is, is that if you were really truly filled with the Holy Spirit, then you're not going to be doing what these pagans did under the intoxication of uh, the fumes or whatever they were doing. And... In some cases, they were actually saying that Jesus is not Lord and that let him be accursed. There's a lot, there's a deeper meaning here which tells us that 
when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we understand the leadership and the lordship of who Jesus Christ is. And I want to get into that later. And so some of the practices in the Corinthian church were actually, as we can see, pagan practices. They were just being copied as the way the world was doing. I think in the church today, you can get trends, we can get programs, we can get emphasis, we can do things uh, and make it so patterned after the world thinks that there is no, uh, there is no spiritual, there's no spiritual teaching going on. Paul says here when we're being taught that it's a spiritual teaching. Spiritually taught means this, is that I'm hearing rhema from God. I'm hearing the Logos, which is the written word of God, but then I'm hearing it again on the inside through the witness of the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 8, that this is truth and this is for me and this is how it applies to me. Rhema means that I, as a, as a, self, as a, as a self-governing, as, a, as a, a person that has a free will, um, have the power to, be, to hear from God and to let him speak to me in a deep way. For example, you can come to church and sit here, as many do uh, across the world today, and listen to worship and say, that was a nice performance, but have no rhema happening inside of your personal life. You know, when we were worshiping today, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking God is speaking to me, and I'm listening to him speak to me, and, uh, and when he's speaking to me, he's reaffirming things that I have already heard in the word of God. And so, rhema teaching means that I'm in a service, I'm in a, I'm in a meeting on a Bible study house church, the word is being spoken, and the Holy Spirit is witnessing with my spirit uh, the truth of that, but in this particular area of my life. It's not in contrast to what the word says, but it's, it's in application of what's happening in my life, where we say, you know what? Okay, the preacher says, fear not. And then I have a witness in my spirit that says, you know what? Don't fear in that particular area of your God's going to be faithful in your finances, and don't live in fear because... Fear is the absence of love. That's what we were saying last week. And so that is being spiritually taught. When we are having, uh, when we are having, um, uh, uh, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things, meaning that things that we've been taught before are now coming together and they're coming together in a, uh, in a way like a puzzle's being put together and we're seeing the bigger picture. Are you following me? Be spirit taught. Uh, if you don't, if you come to church and you're not spirit taught, you're, it's just not going to be interesting. It's not going to be stimulating. And you know what? In some places, there is not spiritual teaching going on. And so um, there's not much spiritual teaching going on. So verse 4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. Verse 5. There are varieties of service. And I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version. But the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. When I read these three, when I read these three categories, there are varieties of gifts, same spirit, varieties of service, same Lord, varieties of activity, but the same God who's empowering. Thinking of three things, I'm thinking of, I thought of this verse in Romans, sorry, Matthew chapter 7, and verses 21 through 23. Remember those verses where it says that in that day, and this is chapter 7, again. This may sound like heavy teaching going on this morning. That's just the way it is today, okay? Sorry. <laughs> Matthew chapter 7 is a chapter about what is true discernment, what is righteous judgment, and what does it really mean to walk in discernment. And so Jesus here in Matthew chapter 7 is talking about discerning 
people's motives and discerning the activities and things that are going on. And so Jesus says in that day, people will say, Lord, Lord. And then he goes on to say, did we not do these things in your name? And then Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. And so there's three things. Verse 21 says that miracles can happen and can be performed, but not with the spirit of God. And we know that. We've seen this. Example, early in the, in the Bible, Genesis, here's Pharaoh, right? He's got this, he's got the staff, he's got, then there's Janus and Jambres and Pharaoh's court. They're throwing their staves in the ground and there's snakes. And there was a snake worship, there was a snake cult going on in Egypt at the time. And then Moses throws down his staff and it is one, it's only one snake. Did you ever feel like that? You're like, everybody's got all these snakes going on and only got one snake. <laughs> but that snake that you cast down actually eats up all the other snakes. We might not have much, but what we do have is just going it's, it's to take us to town. It's going gonna, it's gonna to prove the kingdom of God is with us. So miracles can happen. Is this, and I think we know that, but when we see a miracle happen, let's, let's think, be critically, be a critical thinker. I think we are, but think critically with God about things. Have a mindset that says, you know what, is that really from God? When somebody comes up to me and says, or comes up to you and says, God told me this, I want to ask this question, did God really say that? Or is God speaking to me the same thing? And so, miracles can be performed, but not in the spirit of God. And number two, verse 22, a lot of work can be, activities can be done in the church, but not led under the Lord's government. Now, we don't teach lordship salvation here. But I do believe that we need to be governed by the Lord. And the Lord means is that Jesus is, he is governing my life. So when you and I present our bodies as a living sacrifice in Romans chapter 12 every morning. And this is really my mantra every day. I wake up and say, Lord, I'm just presenting myself to you right now, living sacrifice. I'm acceptable. I'm loved. I'm beloved. You're happy to see me. Even with all my issues. You know, I'm coming to use the throne of grace right now, and I'm presenting myself a living sacrifice. How many of you have ever woken up in the morning, you walk into your kid's room, and there's just this aroma in there, and you know that there's some diapers that need to be changed? And you're like, you know, your kid, and he just runs up to you, he's like, hey, you know, he's so happy to see you. Are we like, I reject you because you have dirty diapers? No, of course not. We are, we are loved with our dirty diapers, and God gladly changes them on a continual basis. And so, a lot of things can be done in the church, but not under the Lord's leadership and the Lord's government. And, and verse 23 of Matthew chapter 7 really points to verse 6 here that we're reading in Ephesians, in, a, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I hope you're following these verses. If not, then just, just listen. And Jesus says, I never knew you. This is very important. And I... So one of the, this is one of the things I want you to take away from the message here today. Is that um, when we read in verse 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who, and energia who empowers them all and everyone. I'm going to talk about that for a minute. Because what is happening is we have an Eastern mystic type of thinking in Christianity today. The Gnostic movement which says... That you are animated by God, but you don't know God. Okay? You are animated by God, but you don't even know what's going on. It's like a glove. It's like a hand going into a glove. 
And that glove has no idea what's going on. It's just reacting to what's going on inside. This is not consistent with our relationship with God. Our relationship with God. When God empowers someone to do something in their giftings, in the church, for the edification of the body of Christ, so that people can grow in maturity and fulfill the great commission of the church, it is not something that I have no idea what's going on. That's not empowerment. Empowerment means that the Spirit of God that is in me, through the teaching that I've received through the Word of God and the voice of Christ, is talking to me. And there is a communion going on. We are co-laborers together, right? Does it make sense? It's not something that's like, okay, now the Spirit's come upon me, and I have no idea what's going on, and I'm doing all these weird things, and now I'm flying, now I'm on the floor, now I'm doing this. That is not Christianity, and that's not what it's talking about. That's called animation, and that's not what God does. God does empower us. He does lead us, but the Holy Spirit is not compulsive. You know what compulsive means? It means to do something without thinking. There's a drive to do it, and I can't think. The Holy Spirit inside of you and I, that anointing that is in us, in 1 John chapter 2, 20 and 27, is an anointing that is that is in communion with us as a, as a uh, free-thinking being. Okay? Are you following me here? It is something that is not animating me to do something that I have no idea. Well, I don't know what came over me. I just did that because, you know, when people say the devil made me do it. That is not Christianity. And so what we can see sometimes happening in, in services or things that are going on is that somebody said, well, I just, it just came over me and I just... I couldn't resist, and I, I had to do this. And you know, something I would—I'm going to cast doubt on that because when God is working in us, He is working us to will and to do of His good pleasure. There is a communication going on between God, the Word in us, and who we are as a free-thinking individual. Does that make sense? I'm not in some kind of animated state where I'm out of control. That sounds like demonic possession, and a Christian cannot be possessed by a demon. Because we are, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So as a Christian, you can never be demon-possessed. Uh, demon and so I want to make, make that clear, because being empowered by the Holy Spirit is not a mindless act. It's not something that is happening where I'm out of control. But it is something that, you know something? God may speak to me, but it doesn't have to happen this moment. I can just meditate on this and say, okay, God, tell me more about what you're saying about this Circumstance, or maybe this something in the church. You know, I see a need in the church. It's like, God, speak to me about that. Let me think about that because I don't want to be compulsive and speak my flesh. I want to hear from you, and I want to marinate your thought and meditation. And and this is the privilege that we have as a saint with God of interaction and thinking with God and being led by the Holy Spirit into things and not being pushed and driven. You know, when someone is driven or when I'm driven, I can, it's, always, it's always my flesh. Because the flesh can't wait. The flesh is bound to time. Does that make sense? It has, a, it has an expiration date. My body has a, a Jesus Christ. If he doesn't come back uh, and, and rapture the church, my body has an expiration date. And I'm going to be in the grave. My flesh knows that. So, like, the hardest thing for us to do is to wait on our gifts. Romans chapter 12 says, wait on your gift, wait. And I know that when I was a young believer, as a young, as a young man, as a young preacher, I didn't want to wait. I wanted to get up there and do it. Like, you know, I got to do this. I'm compelled to do this. If I don't do it now, I'm going to miss my opportunity. 
Well, what did Paul do when he got saved? Where did he go? He went three years to the Arabians Bible School in the desert. He talked to no one. Imagine that. So I think that there needs to be a marination, a meditation, a thinking with God about um, what God is speaking to us as a, as a member in particular in the church and not feel that I have to be driven to do something. And so, um, verse 7, to each one of us given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I just want to read this here and take this verse apart. To each is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Every one of you, if you're a believer, maybe you don't know much about God, but there's something in you that God wants you to manifest about God that somebody else can't do. Like, the Jesus in Johnny is going to be, is, 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 is the same Jesus, but what Johnny's going to manifest is going to be different than what Marsha manifests as a believer. And that's why every member is, is, is so needed. As a pastor, you know, I think you think the same way. When someone's missing, you miss them. You miss their portion, you know. When Mike's not here, I miss his portion. I miss his exhortation. <laughs> you know, I miss, I miss people when they're not here. And it's not because I'm in control, but it's like, man, you know, I didn't get their portion. And I didn't get their blessing in my life. And that's why, that's why when we gather together every Sunday, it's so important. You may not be doing something in the church, but your portion is very important. You've got, you're bringing angels with us, and you're bringing angels with you into the service that need to, that, that need to be here and that want to, that want to see what's going on in the fellowship. Did you know that? Did you know that there's angelic presence in these meetings where two or more are gathered? There are angels. Yeah. And guess what? Angels don't know everything. They're mighty and they're powerful and they're incredible. They're, they, you read the book of Revelation and you can just see this incredible angelic uh, activity going on. One angel in the Old Testament kills 10,000 people. These are like, these are super, supernatural beings, but they don't know everything. And it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, that they desire to look into what's going on in your little life in your little job, in your little cubicle, and they want to see how the grace of God is being manifested in your life. Isn't that cool? And when they come to church, they're listening to the message too. Whoever's preaching up here, they're listening to that message. And they're hearing something in a message that they did not hear before because it's coming through a human being that, is, has, a, that has, a member, has a membership in particular in the body of Christ that is different than from every other member in the entire body of Christ worldwide. Isn't that cool? That means like if you go somewhere to preach and no one shows up, just preach to the angels. I don't know if you've ever done that before. Each of us has been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. When someone comes into the church and they're walking with God and they're taking up a daily cross and they're walking in church, there may not be a lot of socialized. Just because we don't connect with somebody socially does not mean that we can't fellowship with them. People have different personalities. You know, I'm, I have a personality that probably rubs people the wrong way. I don't know. Maybe there's things that I do that are, annoying, that are annoying or just, I'm not sure. But there are, but where we connect with each other is Christ. And my wife or your husband. You know, there may be times where you, there's a disconnect on the personal level or in the domestic level or in the cultural level. But that connection that you have with Christ, with your mate, is spiritual and unshaken. And there's a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Our, your wife, my husband, I mean, my wife, your husband. <laughs> Gotta be careful these days how you say that. 
I don't have a husband. They need the word. They need to be in church. You know what I'm saying? My kid needs to be in church. You know, even though he's not understanding anything. He needs to be loved on by, you notice that when Caleb's here, he's just like jumping in everybody's arms. He's just getting loved up by the body of Christ. Common good here means this. It means a working together for everyone to benefit in Ephesians 4.12. I'm going to just say this. That no one has the corner on any gift. And this avoids pride and cliques. Now, have you ever been to a church where there's a guy in the church and like he's got the gift of that and no one can ever like exercise that gift because he's got that gift and like you don't want to compete with that guy. You know what I'm talking about? Like he's got the gift of, of um, he's got the, he's got the gift of preaching and you don't want to touch that guy. You don't want to even try to preach around him because he's got the, no, this is what this is saying here is for that there can be a working together where this is for the blessing of every person. And verses 8 to 10, let's go to look at verses 8 to 10, and then I, wanna, I want to um, try to wrap this up. I know it's going long, but I, you guys okay? Can I? Can, okay. Verses 8 to 10 goes like this. The word, the Greek word the, or the, which is a definite article. You know what definite article means? It means a, it's a word that precedes a noun or an object that says the police. You know, like, you don't want to... There's police, but then there's the police of Shenandoah. You don't want to mess with them. Okay, that's the definite article, okay? And they're great police here. I'm not trying to joke around, but just using an example. It says here that there's no definite article in front of any of these gifts. Meaning, for example, the, the gift of prophecy. Meaning like, you know, if you have the gift of prophecy, that means you, that you are the one and this is the only gift. What I'm trying to say is, is that there's no one that has a corner on any gift. And so if someone has the gift of something, that is not for me as a... If I have a gift of serving, that's not for me. It is actually for the body of Christ. So if we look at verses 8 to 10, let's read these together. For one is given through the spirit of utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another faith by the same spirit. To another gifts of healing by one spirit. Notice here plurals here, gifts of healing. Okay, it doesn't mean the gift of, of healing, meaning like, okay, he is a healer. Okay, if you want a healer, go to the, don't go, but I'm saying people can go to the psychic world and go to a psychic uh, prophet, uh, get a psychic prophecy or a psychic healer. That's not what it's talking about here. Workings of miracles, for example. Um, verse 10, another prophecy to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. You ever meet somebody that just has this Man, they just have this gift of discernment and they can discern a spirit behind something. And it's like, you know what? I don't like that. That that spirit is not a spirit of God. That is a spirit of something else. Distinguishing of spirits to another various kinds of tongues to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, all these are empowered by the one and the same spirit. Why does he keep saying the same spirit? The same spirit. Because when you start talking about giftings, it has to be governed by the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God has a voice. And that voice is not an awkward voice. It's not a weird voice. It's not a voice that is condemning or destructive. It's a voice that promotes the Word of God. Who, and it says, who apportions to each one individually as, is, as he wills. I want to stop there for a second. Romans chapter 12 says this, that let each minister according to the portion of faith. Here it says... Who, appro- who apportions to each one individually as he wills. What that means, it means that you can have a gift, 
But it, not may, it may not be as big as Billy Graham's portion of the gift. You may, be, you may be leading 10 people to Christ. You may have the gift of an evangelist. And you're leading people to Christ. But maybe not millions of people. Uh, suppose someone God gives this amazing ability. This uh, ability to speak a foreign language they hadn't studied before. Maybe that person cannot speak the language fluently all the time. But for that moment as they're preaching the gospel. There is a supernatural grace to speak another language. That you don't know so well. So well. Regarding the gifts, I just want to say a few things that, um, that personally in my life I've, I've been able to experience and I've seen firsthand. And this does not make me an amazing person. It just makes me a person that has been blessed by the incredible favor of God to be used in a way that I could never deserve or achieve myself. Um, I have seen uh, just a few years ago through not myself, but through a, a, the, the prayer of a group of people, a little girl that had passed away that had drowned, and then she was brought out of the water, and through just a time of prayer and singing worship songs, and just waiting for the ambulance to come, which is in Ukraine, which just took hours to get there, this little girl came back to life. And I talked to I talked to um, one of our pastors over there, I mean, who pulled her out of the water. It was just an incredibly unbelievable, painful scenario, and I just. Hope that never ever happens again. Or you have to go through that. Bringing a little life out of the water and seeing that life come back to, and yet that little girl coming back to life. We've seen. I and I just talked to that pastor again this summer. He was in Baltimore, and we were just talking about like that. Do we realize that this girl was gone? She was gone. She was dead. She was not breathing. She came out of the water, and that through prayer, through um, through medical help with the people that were there with us, that knew some CPR. Uh, this girl, after 10 or 15 minutes, slowly came back to, to life. I've seen, uh, I've seen through prayer, uh, we've had times of prayer uh, as a body of Christ. At the, sometimes at the end of a service, we did this overseas where there was a time of prayer. People came up in a very simple way. It wasn't bombastic or sensational. And I remember a couple coming up to us, up to me, and said, um, we can't have a baby. Uh, we've tried and tried and tried, but we, we can't have a baby. And it's just not happening. And so I remember praying this prayer, and I didn't feel like I was so full of power, and I didn't feel like I was like a super person. I said, God, would you just give this couple a baby? Would you just see the desire of their heart? And just, I pray today, Lord, that this would happen in Jesus' name. And it was really that kind of a prayer. And I think that there is something coming to the body of Christ for counsel, for prayer, for edification, and God honors that. Next year, we were at the same conference in, in, in Europe, and this couple came up to me with a little baby, and they said, God gave us a baby. That was God. That was not me. There was a, there's a woman that was in our church in Ukraine that had severe kidney issues. She came to me. I totally forgot about this. She asked me, um, would you pray for my kidney? Because uh, I didn't know exactly what it was, but it's just not functioning. And after that prayer, God, God, did I feel anything? Did I feel like warm waves of love and, and, and heat coming out of my hands. I did not. I did not feel that. I just was obedient to obey the Bible when it says if there if be any sick among you, bring them to the elders and let them pray over you and to the oil. And so we've seen things like this happen. I remember being in Ukraine. And I'm, why am I saying this? Because I want you to understand that I believe in the gifts and we've seen these happen. Do these always happen? No, they don't always happen every Sunday. But I remember being overseas and I remember... Uh, I didn't have my translator with me. We're in Poland. 
And I had just studied a little Polish, and I was, I failed French, I failed Latin, I failed German, I failed all the languages that I ever studied. And my French teacher told me, he said, he heard that I was going to go on a mission trip. He goes, you're going to go to Europe? You can't even, you know, you can't even learn French. You're never going to speak another language. And so I just remember this thought in my mind, like, I'm never going to speak another language. And I remember being in that scenario, and there was a woman there that did not speak English, but desperately wanted to hear the gospel. And I remember just kind of fudge, just beginning my Polish, you know, fudging through Polish and just kind of like, and I just remember this supernatural ability to like get all the words together and put them in sentences. And I had a friend with me that didn't speak English. They were in our church. And they couldn't translate. And I'm sharing the gospel with her. And I just said, I was like, you know, what? I think God's with me in this. And I was just sharing the gospel in Polish. And at the end of the conversation, that person told me, that that was the best Polish that they had ever heard me ever speak. It was, it was like perfect. Has that happened since? No. I mean, I mean, there have been moments where I've had just... So I want to say that there are moments that God will apportion ability to you um, for that moment for the need that God wants to do in another person's life. And it may not be that way all the time. So there are miracles that happen. There are, there are things that God does through us. Why? Because we show up in our weakness in our inability, in our lack of worthiness, and we say, God, I'm not worthy. I'm your child, and I don't qualify for this, but would you use me here in this way to minister to someone? And so that happens. Um, I want to finish with this. When we talk about the gifts, um, there's three clusters. You know how you look at grapes, and there's, there's a cluster of grapes. And I would say there's three different clusters of these gifts. And there are many other gifts that we read in the New Testament that are not written out here in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. But there are gifts that fit in those clusters. Um, again, for example, what we, you know, the leading of worship, that's a gifting. And that comes under the cluster of leadership and, uh, and other things, but that's part of that cluster of leadership. And so there's three clusters of giftings, and I want to talk about one of them today. The first one is communication gifts. Gifts that God gives to the body of Christ to communicate his mind to people. Number two, serving gifts. Gifts that have that, that, that God supernaturally enables a person to serve tireless in a way that nobody else really could do that. And number three, sign gifts. These are gifts that, and I, I, was, I was contemplating on changing the word sign gifts because when I think of that, I think, okay, miracles. But, you know, miracles are nothing sensational. They are just the modus operandi of the way God works. We just think it's supernatural. That's just the way God works. And so there are these sign gifts where we, where we see healing and the gift of tongues and others' gifts. And so I just want to talk just briefly here about the communication gifts. And I want to kind of just give some context to them and how we teach that here in Evergrace. The first gifting, and these are not going to be in the order of what we just read, but these are going to, I'm probably going to be using these giftings, I'm probably going to be reading these giftings in the, in the, in the order of importance that I feel that are important. And so the first gifting of communication is prophecy. And when we look at, the, when we look at this word prophecy, in the Greek it's prophetia, which really means a foretelling of events that will happen but not, have not happened yet in relationship to God and the believer. Now, why am I saying that? Because when we are foretelling the word in somebody else's life, we're not telling them that's something that's not already in the word of God. What is the difference between an Old Testament prophet 
and prophecy in the New Testament. The Old Testament prophet was talking about something that had not yet happened. Okay, Talking about Jesus' coming or uh, talking about major events, not with people and their relationship with God, but just on a national level or on other things that were happening in the plan of God. These were things that were happening in the Old Testament. New Testament, we see things happening where Agabus, for example, speaks to Paul. And he says, if you go up there, if you go up to Rome, you're going to be, this is what's going to happen, you're going to be in prison. And these are events that are in relation, that are being spoken about in relationship between the believer and God. For example, prophecy, that word can be used, this word has really two meanings in the New Testament. It, it means to foretell things, but it means to foretell things in a way that are we already see laid out in the written scripture, in the, in the Logos of God. Meaning that prophecy is not, the office of the prophets has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And so the office of the prophet means that, okay, there's the prophet Nehemiah, there were these, I'm um, sorry, uh, Nahum and, and Haggai and these, uh, these awesome prophets that were being, there's Nathan that were being used by God. In the New Testament, prophecy is really, we're talking about so Old Testament prophesying of what's going to come to pass, which was the cross, Christ, the church, the amazing work of God. And prophecy in the New Testament is really for the foretelling of something that has already happened in the past. So what I like to use, and sometimes when we talk about the gift of prophecy, it kind of gets, it freaks people out. It's like they don't, there's a lot of spiritual baggage with that um, because it's been abused. Somebody comes up to somebody and is very subjective and says, God told me to tell you this, that you're going to die in three days, so get ready, you know, prepare to meet thy God. Okay, wow, you know, like, we don't know. I mean, that, that, can, that can happen. It can be very abusive in Christianity. When we talk about prophecy, we're talking about the foretelling of God's word, God's word and God's mind about people. For example, Somebody that has the gift of prophecy or feels that they have the gift of prophecy um, are going to speak faith into people's life. And so, for example, there have been times in my life where I knew that God spoke to me about somebody, but I'm not going to walk up to that person and say, look, this is what God told me to tell you, and this is, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk up to that person. I want to check to make sure I've heard from God. I want to say, hey, how's it going? What's going on in your life? Maybe God spoke to me that, you know, if someone's struggling in their marriage, can you just pray for them? By the way, God's not going to speak to you and I unless we're praying for people. God's not going to speak to me about somebody else who I'm not already praying for because I don't have God's mind about that person. Does that make sense? So, like, so, so suppose God speaks to me about someone's marital situation. And I'm, I've got to wrap this up here because we're already speaking 50 minutes. Maybe God speaks to me to somebody's, about somebody's marital situation. I want to speak into their life and say, hey, look, how are things going? You're doing all right. How's your wife? And you just get, you get talking a little bit. And then after a while, that conversation is going to come up. Well, hey, we're struggling here. And instead of saying, hey, God told me to tell you this, just tell them what God told you. Say, hey, look, maybe God spoke to you about, hey, I'm working in this guy's life to learn how to lay down his life for his wife. And in his personality, that's really hard to do because I've discerned that maybe. And so I'm going to go to that man and say, you know something? Hey, this is, this is what the word says about just lay down your life for your wife like Christ did for the church. 
And when we talk like that, we're speaking the word of God into somebody's life, right? Does that make sense? We're speaking something that's not brand new, that's like, okay, uh, the earth is going to get hit by an asteroid in 40 days, but it is something that is already communicated in the word of God. So prophecy, Paul talks about prophecy as the main gift in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He says, above all, that you would prophesy. Prophesying is preaching the word of God, it's speaking the word of God into people's lives, and it's creating faith into a person's life. Does that make sense? And it is not, it is not, um, and it is done with the same spirit of edification. You know, when something is done with a spirit of edification, it's not awkward, and it's encouraging, and it builds us up, and it doesn't put us in a place where I am suddenly feeling very strange as the person being spoken to. I want to quickly go through this. Thanks for bearing with me. Teaching is the second gift, uh, a, a special ability to teach. You know, line upon line, category by category. Um, hitting the points, going through it. It may not always be the most um, exciting, inspirational, but it is teaching. And that is part of the job of the pastor, teacher, to teach in Romans chapter 12, verse 7. Number three, there's the gift of exhortation. The gift of exhortation, the gift of exhortation is a classic, amazing discipleship equipping tool. Exhortation means that I'm speaking into somebody's life and I'm challenging them into who they already are in Christ, okay? And I'm not yelling, exhortation is not yelling at people, it's not being angry at people, but it's saying, look, you believe this about you, and that's a lie. I want you to know that, that God is for you, and that he's not going to forsake you, and I want to encourage you. Classic example, Barnabas and Saul. Saul goes back to Tarsus. He goes to Jerusalem, he gets saved, and then he, I personally feel that Saul gets discouraged because he's not brought into, he's not brought into the, the, um, the circle of the apostles there in Jerusalem. He's, he's met with privately by a couple of the disciples, the apostles. And he, sent, he says, hey, great, you're saved, Saul. Hey, why don't you, um, why don't you head home now? <laughs> Go back home to, Sar- to Tarsus. No church is ever planted there. We see a man discouraged and not disciple. That happens all the time. Barnabas comes on the scene and he goes and finds Saul brings him down, and he begins to disciple him, begins to speak to him, and begins to tell him who he is in Christ, and begins to discipleship him. And that is exhortation. I think there are people in our midst that, that are, they are comforting, they are encouraging, and uh, they, build, they build people. The word of wisdom, uh, the word of wisdom. This is, a, I think this is a powerful equipping tool in counseling. Um, the word of wisdom is, is someone that has been gifted by God, through Sophia, or Sophia, which is the Greek word, which means that this person has the expertise or the ability to see the end result of something. You ever talk to somebody like that? They're great to have on staff. They're great to have around you when you're making decisions. Many times God gives our wives a gift of wisdom or our, or our husbands the gift of wisdom for a particular situation. Gift of wisdom means I have insight about something and how it's going to turn out if we stay on this road gift of wisdom is incredible in counseling. Um, it is a, the ability to give God's minds or to bring in God's perspective on certain, circumstance, on certain circumstances. And it's the ability to discern the way things are going. And then number five, the fifth, uh, is the word of knowledge. And this means really to understand um, God's word, God's mind about something. Now, sometimes it's been used... I have a word of knowledge about somebody 
uh, information that has not been told to me about somebody that's in the congregation or that's in another, in another location. I have this understanding that I know about their situation and then nobody's told me about that. I've seen where a pastor has done that and I have not done that. And I think that that has to be done with great care, with great wisdom and, and with great experience because if it's not true, then it could be so destructive and so devastating for people. So with this word of knowledge, Paul also uses this in a way where, where we have knowledge from God about what God thinks, and we just speak that. If God gives you information, God, if God speaks to you about something or someone that seems to be very specific, I would always test it. I'd always prove it. And I would just, I would always kind of gear the conversation in a way that, because why am I saying this? Because these things can be so abused and the spirit of God can be so trampled on and people can be so injured that they never go to church ever again. And what have we done? We have, we have counteracted the gospel and the kingdom of God. If God gives you insight on somebody and that happens, if you were a shepherd or you have shepherding gifts, if you're a shepherd teacher or a pastor teacher, God may speak to you about people that you're praying for just be wise and careful in the way we execute that. Amen? So these are just five communication gifts. And I'll close, and I'll just close with this. And it's been an hour I've been speaking. I've never, been, I've never spoken an hour. <laughs> you guys are amazing. But God has given us grace, and this is for the edification. Always ask yourself this question before you exercise your gift. Is this going to edify? Do I know this person? Is this person going to receive what I have to say? And if it, does, it, does this have the voice of Christ? Or is this in some way going to be isolating and separating and dividing the body of Christ? And I think if we do that, man, this church, and I know we, there's gifts in this church, it's awesome. Uh, be spirit-led. Be led by the Holy Spirit in the way you, you know, when you're, when you're praying about what you're going to do. Just say, Lord, I've really got to know, is this you? You've got to speak to me. Make sure. Because I don't tr- personally trust my own heart. I don't trust my own mind. And I just need that, um, that veto power of the Holy Spirit in my life to make sure that I'm being led by the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, edification happens. The church grows. The gospel's preached. And people are disciples. Amen? So we have a lot more work to do with these. And I'm gonna, I think the following messages are not going to be so long. But this is just a layout of... All of this, and we have not taught on this before since I've been here, so this is a great opportunity to start. So let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have gifted your body with the Holy Spirit, with giftings that are so, uh, that are just a sign of your favor in our lives. And this favor, this charisma, which is the root word grace, this grace in our life flows and edifies people. And so, Lord, we just want to pray that you would make us a body of people that would be edifying, that would understand the timing and the tact of how to serve and how to minister. Lord, we want to ask you, God, that when people come through these doors, Lord, that the, that the burden and that the, that the chains of bondage would be let loose and would be set free just by the word and by the spirit in the room. That we praise you and we thank you. Jesus' precious name, we pray these things. Amen.